0: Hello 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 and welcome to this episode of Reverse Ambition podcast. My name is Kelsey Cooper and thank you for listening. This special this episode is very special um because as much as people of color strive to be great and be best at what they do race is still an issue as we try to do that. And this story is about my good friend, Lola Odeen, who pretty much left her nine to five, corporate nine to five job to open up a restaurant with her husband, uh, which was doing, the restaurant was doing extremely well, so they decided to move to another location. And this, she explains what happens when, based on her race, and the perception of what her restaurant is all about, she got involved the fight of her life for her restaurant, which unfortunately she ended up um, losing. So as real as it is and as inspiring as this podcast is in terms of taking that leap of faith, we also want to keep it real you know there are obstacles out there based on race and other discriminatory issues but at the end of the day you know we have to keep move keep going on keep moving on please listen hope you enjoy and thanks Lola welcome to another episode of reverse ambition a podcast that fo- focuses on those who follow their passion and their dreams my name is Kelsey Cooper, a.k.a. The Social Broker, and I'm really excited to have today's guest on today. She's been a friend of mine forever, you know, from mm-hmm. from a little tot, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> when I was starting doing events. She owned this amazing, beautiful restaurant called Lola's, and I just invited her on for her to share her journey. She is from, uh, she used to work as a senior vice president at Chase. In the human resources department and then she transitioned to do our own thing as an entrepreneur. So without further ado, please welcome Miss Lola Gail Patrick Odeen. What's up, Lola?
1: Hey Precious, how are you?
0: What's going on, girl? Thank you I'm so. so happy
1: to be here to talk to you, Kelsey.
0: Well thank you for being on here. This is my labor of love and I really want to feature those who follow their heart and a passion. Um, no matter how scary it is, and I know you have an amazing story. So let's get it started. I usually ask my guests to walk me through their journey, starting from where they're from, where they went to school, where they majored in, and so forth.
1: Okay. Um, I am from the island of Barbados, okay. a tiny island in the Caribbean, 166 square miles. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, went to high school in Barbados, and... Uh, I left Barbados when I was 19 years old uh, to move to the United States. My mother had left about five years prior to that. And so I hadn't seen my mom in all that time. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so, just as I, I turned 19, we um, emigrate. She finally got um, not only her green card, but of course, um, green cards for all of us. And there are four siblings. Mm -hmm. And we moved to the U.S. Okay.
0: You were excited, weren't you?
1: I was very excited uh, because um, coming from a little island, uh, I I think there are a couple of things. One, I think of myself as being very fortunate to have come from an island like Barbados. Mm
2: -hmm. It's
1: one of the gems of the Caribbean, the dollar is strong. The island is beautiful. The island is run by people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, the people are people of color. My teachers were of color. Um, I have friends of many different races. And so when I came to the U.S., I had a pretty strong identity. Right. Don't, um,
0: don't Bobett has had one of the high literacy rates, too, uh, in the Caribbean? Yes, like 90, they do very 90 high. Some, Ninety-some percent.
1: Yes, it is. And education is amazing. Mm -hmm. Their education system, which is based on the British system for the most part.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And so I was very smart, a very bright kid. Um, I I got here and immediately went to work uh, at the age of... I first started off in sales. Mm -hmm. And... uh, was pushed along very quick quickly. I became an assistant manager um, in sales and. At this is at J.P. Morgan of, Chase. No, not yet. Oh, okay. I was working in in a department store. Oh, okay. And and then I left. uh, I went back to Barbados for a little bit. I was vi- still, vi- of course, very young. I'm only like at the time about 20 years old, and very much in love with a guy that. Um, who was still in Barbados
2: oh. and
1: yeah, that's why I went back
2: mm-hmm. much
1: to my mother's chagrin, mm-hmm. and, um, stayed too long in Barbados, came back, um, went to an agency and got my first job in corporate America, um, in what the, at the time was called personnel administration for Manufacturers Hanover Trust. Okay. And um, I was a personnel administrator. All
0: right. So you didn't so, go to you didn't go to college in the states, or
1: I did later on. And so I began my career in corporate, and really felt um, inadequate to a large degree because I didn't have my degree. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I had spent probably about I don't know four or five years working in corporate America. Um, before it really hit me that I really needed to continue my education. And so I was able to go to NYU, um, and they accepted me because the credits, um, they gave me a certain amount of credits, um, also because of the, um, uh, I had a few. um,
0: Basically, you basically had some credits based on your experience, your education experience in Barbados.
1: Yes, I did, and and credits given also because of um, my tenure in corporate America at the time. Okay, and so I was going to um, NYU uh, as a graduate, almost as if I had graduated from college. Okay, Um, so I went into a uh, a program, um, a, a master's type program at NYU. Okay, dope. Yes.
0: Okay. How was that for you? What did you uh focus on home and on in terms of the
1: program? HR management. Okay. HR management.
0: Yeah. So now that you have your degree, you are adequate to go and conquer corporate America, huh?
1: I think I was I I I did very very well at NYU. And so it was one of those things that um really help to shore you up, right? To some degree when you are, to to some degree your insecurities are at play, you're already feeling like you don't really measure up because at the time all I had was a high school diploma. Right. Um, but, uh, I did measure up. Uh, mm-hmm. so that education just, uh, worked very, very, very well for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm very proud of that. And so, Um, To continue my education as I furthered my career at um, J.P. Morgan, um, I was selected to go into the um, Smith Consortium every year, Smith College, um, they have a program where people who do not have a master's degree but have credits toward um, a master's are selected um, based on performance from the companies that they're in to uh, enter another master's-type program.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you're there for an entire summer, um, uh, working along, alongside uh, people at your level or maybe even higher um, from corporations um, across the, the U.S. and some overseas. Mm -hmm. um of course and um that was something else that really helped to shore me up as well all right
0: so you a rising star at jp morgan clearly with all with with your experience and now all this uh education how did you fare you know now that you have all that stuff backing you in terms of moving forward in corporate america
1: Well, um, I spent 21 years, I went from, um, I'm going back in time now, Manufacturer's Hanover merged with Chemical Bank to become Chemical Bank. And then Chemical Bank merged with Chase to become Chase.
2: Mm.
1: And after, Chase merged with J.P. Morgan to become J.P. Morgan Chase.
2: Mm. And so
1: I was actively engaged in the process of Um, mergers and acquisitions, change management programs, um, very engaged in processes to help move the, um, organization and its people forward. Um, so, uh, I think my education to some degree played a role, but, um, uh, to, to I think to a much lesser degree actually than, um, my real on the ground experience. And more importantly, um, when you uh, combine that with uh, um, the innate abilities that um, people have, I think then you have something powerful depending on who that person is and how committed they are mm-hmm. to the work of hand, um, how uh, committed they are to really getting things done, how committed they are to excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, And so when you have a combination of all of these things, um, then you've got somebody in the world who's looking to do um, something that's quite powerful, I believe. Right.
0: So you worked your way up to, you know, to senior partner in human resources. No,
1: no. I was a a vice president at a senior level.
2: Oh, wow. Um,
1: And that's where I ended up. uh, By the time I I was ready to leave J.P. Morgan after 21 years, uh-huh. I was a vice president in the investment bank, um, wow. supporting a large global business, managing multi million dollar budgets and so on. Wow. I did big things.
0: And you left all less to follow your passion in your heart. What led you to do that?
1: As you can imagine, as a woman of color working in corporate America, it's not an easy It's not an easy journey. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: It's I I describe it as um, oftentimes um, feeling like you're invited to the party but you're not really welcome. Mm.
0: On on a senior level, vice president level, you felt that
1: way? Yeah, even even at yes, even at a senior level, because you're sitting at the table and oftentimes you're the only one person Mm -hmm. of color at you're constantly reminded of the fact that you are a role model. I was constantly reminded. Um, uh, I'm a creative type.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: I've always sort of looked to challenge the status quo. Oh.
2: Um,
0: you didn't say play along uh, to get um, along. You were that disruptor, huh?
1: Yes. Um, and that's, I think, uh, where being an entrepreneur really matters. Um, because it's more, I I think, an entrepreneurial mindset
2: Mm -hmm. that a
1: person needs to have in order to become an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You go into spaces and you kind of look at the way things are being done and you're constantly kind of challenging those approaches. Um, You don't think that they're right. Now, I was called naive very often um, in my career because... Um, anybody who cares passionately about the human equation in financial services, uh, yeah, you've got to be naive to care about people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do. I always have. I, I care passionately, and to some degree, the company was able to use my ability in terms of building relationships, um, creating trust to advance big projects and big processes in terms of change management. Mm-hmm. Um, that really worked very well um, for my own training. Um, and um, But oftentimes uh, there were senior people who kind of challenged my approach,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, my way of being um, and challenged me. I had peers, um, co- there was always some kind of competition um, going on to some degree, there were people who tried to throw me under several buses that they were willing to drive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so that sort of thing happened. But, you know, you, you you stay on balance and you continue to prove yourself and you do your job until it gets to the point where it really um, becomes... Um, it, it, it's eroding your very spirit. Mm. And one of the reasons... Um, that I made the decision to leave corporate America.
0: Your spirit was eroded. It was done. You were like, you're depleted.
1: <laughs> I really was. I mean, there are some really major, big things that happened um, to get me to that point. Um, there was a managing director who I supported, who I believed was a racist. I mm-hmm. challenged him, um, he was a superstar.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so. Uh, there was real conflict um, that eventually pushed me to leave. Mm. Um, you I, felt like you were
0: forced out or?
1: No, I wasn't. I um, I actually went to my boss at the time and talked ad nauseum about, you know, what I was feeling. He wanted to create another role for me, but I wanted to leave. Um, and I wanted my, in order to do that, I, I asked if I could get my severance. Um, he was unwilling at first, but he came around to seeing the the common sense in giving me my severance. Mm-hmm. And so with severance money, and at the time, I wa- the severance was, I think you got three, three weeks of severance for every year that you had been in the company. And wow. I'd been in the company for years. Wow. And so... That wasn't something I wanted to walk away from. I didn't just want to resign. Right. Um, and so they worked. It, they they made it conditional on my staying to see, to see my group through the year-end process.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then they asked me to stay through the first quarter of the following year, which I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and net-net, so it was a win-win. Uh, you can call it a win-win situation. They got what they wanted from me, and I got what I wanted from them.
0: Wow. That's amazing how you were able to negotiate that. You know, some people are like, I'm I'm done. I'm out. I don't care. You know, give me what you want to give me. But you said, no, this is what I deserve, and this is what you got.
1: Exactly. I probably deserved a whole lot more given what I had gone through, but that then that was a retrospective, right? Later on in life, I was able to look back and say my goodness with everything that i knew if i had perhaps i would have advised anybody else to go see a lawyer to talk about what Mm, was going on right something very different way and to walk away with much more money i didn't do that Mm -hmm. um sadly right (laughs) in retrospect he should have
0: but you know i really
1: i should i should have but um there's something about Um, What happens to you personally? Like I could give the very best of advice to any employee who would have come to me under similar circumstances. Um, I would have negotiated much more for them. But when you are when it's about you, um, when you're really not able to pull the cobwebs away completely because what you're feeling is primarily emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, you're you're sort of disconnected from what it all means, right um in terms of big picture right um uh you're really not that connected in, and I didn't tell a lot of people what was going on mm-hmm. um because I was carrying a lot of that burden on my own right um, and I wasn't being the best advocate for myself mm.
0: I mean that happens to a lot of us, you give all the best advice to your friends but when you are in that same situation you're you know your emotions take over and you can't even think straight so happens to, to the best of us
1: yeah it does um, unfortunately and so um, I play a much bigger role now for other people and um, when I'm coaching um, or I'm giving advice um, I can take all of this collective experience and um, and enable a better pathway for for others. Right. So
0: yeah. that's a good thing. All right. right. All right. All right. So you got a nice little, you know, severance. Now that you're free from J.P. Morgan, what did you do once you no longer in corporate America?
1: Well, I was in love with a restaurateur, and so I was spending an incredible amount of time at his restaurant. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was a natural transition. He really needed my help. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he really wanted to do something so much bigger with the brand. Mm-hmm. And um, with the HR experience that I had, I was able to go in and help him with a lot of the staffing issues that he had. Wow. Um, I started uh, taking on the responsibility for all of the parties. Um, building relationships, managing relationships with uh, some of the difficult relationships um, that he had with vendors and so on. And so I was able to um, interject myself in a way that added tremendous value.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So you became a restaurateur or became a restaurateur lover partner? What did you eventually, you know, become in terms of that business?
1: I call myself more of a social entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, my husband was the restauranteur, but I saw other ways to s- sort of use a social environment to do, to do more, to do big things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and ultimately I think that's, that's where I fit in. Um, we were partners. We became partners. I, you guys I gave became officially meeting.
0: partners and stuff not just lovers we
1: came, we, yes we became efficient well we got married and uh officially we were partners um uh in business um and i uh put a lot of financial resources into the business to enable
0: Oh so you also invested not only your experience but your funds
1: Exactly Okay
0: um so and this is we're talking about Lolas right the Lola that amazing what about
1: Lola Uh, beginning, Lola opened in the 1980s on um, 22nd Street um, between 5th and 6th Avenues and my husband bought that business out of bankruptcy in the early 90s Um, and so it had been his business since then Mm -hmm. Um, and the restaurant uh, had two stars from the New York Times Um, it was a fine dining environment but Uh, also a really fun environment because um, there was a huge platform for artists so there was like music every night in the lounge Mm -hmm. what um, kind of music um, classic R&D and jazz for the most part and we started gospel brunches in Manhattan
0: Mm -hmm. oh you guys started doing brunches in Manhattan before people were doing that
1: Lola was the first restaurant to begin a gospel brunch Okay.
0: yes wow Wow, now everyone does his brunches. <laughs> All kind yeah, of brunches. Yeah.
1: yeah, it was a big thing and we grew an international relationship because of the brunches.
2: Oh wow. Um,
1: the restaurant was uh really um one of the few high end places um where people of color could go, you know, and feel really um welcomed and uh treated as if they belonged Mm. and i think it was that my husband really prided himself on my husband is a swede um and you know so there's this this uh white guy who's running a restaurant where the clientele it's a very mixed clientele but a heavy black influence um Mm. within that um and because the restaurant itself was a gorgeous space um, we were, um, used often in, um, uh, television shows, movies, and the like, a lot of people shot in that place.
2: Wow. Um,
1: the best, the best man, um, a lot of the scenes from the best man, um, were shot at the restaurant.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and quite a few other movies and television shows, um, were shot there
0: wow so this is a thriving amazing restaurant focusing on you know r&b music jazz you know on a high-end level with yeah. you know with diverse clientele um it was located where in chelsea right we
1: were in chelsea on 22nd between 5th and 6th okay
0: that was a great location
1: um it was, after 20 <coughs> i think i it was a little a little over 20-something, I can't remember exactly, 20, 21, 22 years of being there. The lease was up, and um, it was now 2004, and the landlord really felt that he could double the rent. Wow. And we fought that for some time. Um, we went on a month-to-month. Uh, for quite a bit, and then he found another tenant who was going to pay him the amount of rent that he wanted, which was almost close to it was over twenty five thousand dollars a month is where he wanted to take the rent mm-hmm. and um, we found a location in Soho uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that was completely underdeveloped, but um we loved the location. we thought that it would be an incredible opportunity to be in an arts district, mm-hmm. um, because we were so much about the art and, um, we really felt that we had found a home in Soho,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, that ultimately was not going to be the case. It, right. um, it turned out to be, uh, a dream that really turned into a nightmare.
0: Wow. So how did that happen? What happened?
1: So we um, signed the lease. Uh, we did our due diligence, of course. We went to um, the community board. Um, we talked to people at the community board. There were people on, who worked at the community board who had been uh, fans of the restaurant in Chelsea for some time.
2: Mm-hmm. They were
1: excited that we were going to be there, as were we. Um, <clears throat> it was a complete build-out. Mm-hmm. Um, but we found a landlord who was really willing to work with us. And um, we signed our lease. Uh, we went before the business arm of the community board because, unfortunately, your liquor license isn't transferable from one location to another in New York City.
2: Mm. You have
1: to go before um, a new community board. You have to speak to your concept. And all of the other stuff. So we did that we went to the business arm of the Community Board, and they voted for us unanimously. So we knew that we would be pretty much a shoe in there are, I don't know that there are any instances where the full arm of the of the business, the full business arm of the Community Board votes for somebody unanimously and then they don't they wind up going against them but that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Uh, after the business arm of the community board um, voted for us, um, we began the construction project. We, of course, signed the lease. We began the construction project and started moving forward. We had to go before the full board, of course. Um, And, but, you know, we had a great reputation, never any problems the business arm of the community board has voted for you. You're good to go.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, a couple of days, I, one of the, I'm sorry, the chair of the community board told me that there was a woman who lived next door to um, our establishment that she may have some problems, but he assured me that if I reached out, Um, to have a conversation with a guy by the name of Sean Sweeney who sat on the community board. Um, I think he was a co-chair at the time. Um, He also was head of a group called the Soho Alliance, which is a special interest group in Soho.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, That he would engineer a meeting between myself and this woman. And, you know, as, as, as soon as she met, he said, he said, you know, as soon as she meets you and she sees your plans and whatever, she's going to be in your place all the time. It'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I called Sean Sweeney. Um, He was very welcoming. Um, He told me, oh my God, Lola, of course I know Lola. Oh, it would be so wonderful to have you here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about anything. And you know, everything's going to be fine. No problem. I'll set up a meeting between you and this this woman, her name is Marie Evans, Mm -hmm. I'll set up a meeting between the two of you. It's not going to be a problem. Two days before that meeting was supposed to take place, I get a phone call from Sean Sweeney and he called to say that he was canceling the meeting. Um, and I said, why what's going on? And that was when I was alerted to the fact that there was more than one person on this call. Mm. And there's a voice and she says, that's because we don't want you here. Wow. And I said, excuse me. Oh, so she you said, didn't, you, right. did, you, did, you
0: didn't know she was on the call.
1: No, I didn't. He didn't tell me that there was that, you know, it was a, that the, there was more than one person on the call. Wow. Um, so she said, that's because we don't want you here. If I were you, I would pack my bags and leave. I'm hiring an attorney He's never lost a case. We don't want you here.
0: Wow. And this is after you've started developing and billing, billing out your your yeah. restaurant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I said to her, excuse me, um, why am I just hearing this now? And she said, well, the, the flyers only just went, the, your posters only just went up. And so I said to myself, aha. So, we had just put up these giant posters in the window of myself and my husband announcing. So for the first time, she's now been able to put a face to the project. Mm. She hadn't had a face to the project before. Right. So in my mind, I understood what she was talking about. And so... um, I said, "Okay, well tell your lawyer to look forward to losing his first case."
2: Mm-hmm. And she
1: said, "We will she said, "We'll see. What kind of idiot are you anyway who would put a restaurant?" And I said, "Lady, I really have nothing more to say to you." That was pretty wow. much the end
0: of it. The- wow. I mean, wasn't Sean, what's his name, Sweeney supposed to like negotiate something where you guys could sit down and have a civil conversation and not mm-hmm. put, you yeah, position, put you in a position put you in a position where you guys were going at each other like straight off the bat? That's
1: That that didn't happen. And so when we went into that morning, um, the following morning, we would go to the um, the construction site every day. And Soho was littered with flyers. And, you know, as you're driving into Soho, they're kind of catching your eye. I don't know what the flyers say. They're neon green flyers. Um, And so they're up on all the posts, signposts and the like as you're driving up West Broadway. Mm-hmm. And when we turned into the space, um the um guy who, who uh is there who takes care of the space, he comes running out, he's so upset, and he has a bunch of these flyers in his hand and mm-hmm. he hands them to me. And the flyers say, "Sofa residents, beware Lola restaurant is trying to come into our community. If you don't come to the community board meeting to stop them, it will mean that you're in favor of, and it began a list that starts with devaluing your properties, bringing more noise, bringing more crime, bringing more, bringing more garbage, um, protect the community. Wow. The community was the following day. And at the time, I just sort of laughed it off because I couldn't believe that something like that would take hold.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And so we went to the community board meeting and the room was packed. Mm. And at the time, I did not realize that the room was packed for, for us. And so I think I was the last person on the agenda and when I went to take the microphone to talk about um, what was uh, to talk about the project, the people in the room stood up and started chanting and drowning me out.
0: Wow, was and your husband were, was your they, husband with you?
1: Yes, um, but I'm the I'm the one who um, is the is the voice for the restaurant. I'm the spokesperson for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. My husband is a man. And um, they started chanting, "No Lola, no Lola, no!" Pumping their fist and they're chanting, "No Lola." Was that Lola. woman? Was
0: that woman there?
1: She was there. Yeah.
0: So she and, orchestrated this.
1: Yeah, she did. She, I, I found out afterward that they actually had people, a group of people, walking around the neighborhood. Um, telling people that we were opening up a black hip hop club, um, that the niggers were going to be out in the street with their pants hanging down. Um, they went to, and it took people some time to tell me this information. Right. Um, because, uh, you know, it, it was many months later before I began to really, um, uh, create my own relationships with people who had lived in Soho for some time. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, By the time we had opened up our business uh, and there was a long road to get in there. That's when uh, uh, people who saw what we were, what we were really about the kind of cuisine that we were creating, the kind of environment and the place that we had created um was the antithesis of anything that they had been told that's when people would come and tell me what they had been told at that time
0: wow which
1: was that we were opening this black hip hop club and we were going to um have the niggers in the street and they used names like they they used the n word um and other words to describe my clientele wow and um yeah. So that's why they had this outpouring day of people coming out to the community board. So the community, at, at the so point they, this now, just
0: they, one woman with her racist perspective, just because she saw you a picture of you in a restaurant with your husband all of, all of a sudden made all these conclusions, created these flyers and started like poisoning you know, her neighbor's mind. Uh, about Lola. You know, a spot of course, like you said, it was like an upscale you know, R&B, jazz um, diverse um, clientele venue to, oh, this is a nigger with hip-hop uh, all kind of crap. Wow. Yeah,
1: yes. and it got worse. <laughs> Did it? It got worse. Wow. It got worse than that. Um, so the community board um, because of the uh outcry from the community decided not to support us for the liquor license and um so our lawyer advised that we um we weren't going to walk away from the project because of that Mm -hmm. um the rest had been in business for so long we've never had any problems so we went to the community board in chelsea we went to the police department in chelsea we got letters from um prominent people in society who had been to the restaurant, attest to the kind of business that we ran.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We um, uh, went to the space every day. I stayed in front of the space. I um, endeared myself to people in the community. I would approach people directly and tell them what we were going through. I, I had people sign a petition. Um, I had staff come down and do the same thing. And we collected hundreds and hundreds of signatures Mm -hmm. and so we took that information to the state liquor authority and meanwhile the construction project is ongoing and um the state uh new flyers go up in the community just before we go to the sla Mm -hmm. and these new neon green flyers say um tell the 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 community that we are going to the sla they they were renting a bus wow. and bussing busing people down to the SLA to protect the community against us.
2: Wow. And
1: uh, what, Lola, what Lola wants, she must not have. Wow. Um, to protect the community, um, they, they, it listed where the bus was going to be and that they wanted people to come down to the SLA to speak out against us. So wow. that happened. Um, when we got to the SLA, the room was packed once more. Um, people took the microphone and talked about Soho as if it was Dodge City. Mm-hmm. Um, there were all these drunks and um, people having sex in their vestibules and that a restaurant of this size was going to be the tipping point wow. for Soho. And that they just really could not take another restaurant. They could not. Mm-hmm. Um, and this and happened in what?
0: Two thousand four.
1: This is now um, two thousand and five.
0: Wow. Were and you guys? This, you guys, Were you guys still building out? We still preparing to open. We
1: were in the construction project. Okay. And um, the state listened to both sides, and the state granted us the liquor license. Wow. They immediately sued the state, accusing them of being arbitrary and capricious, mm-hmm. and took the state to the New York Supreme Court. Wow. Um, so we then had to hire lawyers and to continue fighting them, right. and that that court case went on for four and a half years. It went from the Supreme Court to the Appellate Division. We had to go to the appeals court because they found a Supreme court judge to rule in their favor and to take our liquor license away. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we went to the appellate division, appealed the case and the appellate division ordered that the state liquor authority give us the liquor license during all of this time, they were causing massive interference with the construction project, with the department of buildings. These people were very powerful.
0: Right. What were, they, what were they doing?
1: They were um, uh, running interference at the Department of Buildings by, um, they had inspectors. At one point, they had inspect, we had inspectors come in, to, they lost the architectural drawings. Um, then they told us that they had to rip up the floors that we had just laid um to to um go through um all of the 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 pipes and all this other stuff all all over again um and we said no so i then went to the mayor's small business office i met a woman there by the name of bernadette nation it was mayor bloomberg at the time and um bernadette listened very carefully to everything that i had to say and um, she was able to um, act as a go-between between between us and the Department of Buildings. Um, It got to the point where they were causing so much havoc at the Department of Buildings with the project um, that Bernadette had to be the only person who could make appointments or cancel appointments on our behalf. Um because appointments would be made, they would be cancelled, um all of this stuff that was going on behind the scenes it you know uh caused an interference with the project, and none of these calls that were being made to the d o b were made on behalf of, of us or contractors who were working with us. It was all coming from the outside
2: mm-hmm. wow,
1: so um she uh um, made a decision that she would be the only one that the Department of Buildings could take information from about the project mm-hmm. in order for the project to um, to be finished up right. um, and so, uh, We eventually won um, Again at the appellate division when I went to pick up the liquor license They refused to give me the liquor license at the state liquor authority why um, they had interfered with the process at the SLA. Now the 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 the, the um, people at the State Liquor Authority. There were so many people who became involved in this project on their behalf. The Speaker of the House um, of the of the New York Assembly, Sheldon Silver. Uh-huh. He was. Um, Isn't he in jail now the or something? Uh, he was, uh-huh. but he was behind working to enable them. Uh-huh. There was senator also behind the scenes working to enable them there were council people behind the scenes working to enable them and so eventually i um i got to the governor i was able to have a conversation with the governor at the time mm-hmm. and um, governor who it was um oh good lord here i go again <laughs> i
0: know it's a while but back
1: see my brain. Um, um
0: was it the?
1: Uh, he was a black guy.
0: Oh, oh, the the blind one. Oh, what's his name? I forgot his name as well. But I know who you're talking about. Go ahead. Oh my
1: God, this is not good. This is not good. Anyway, um, as as I'm talking, his name will pop right back into my right. head. Um, um, and so he and I had an in-depth conversation about what was going on in Soho. And, um, he put an investigator on the project and that all of this is taking time. We are opened. Um, they put a block, um, on the liquor license, uh, uh stopping us from playing live music, so we couldn't run the concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and it was having a, a huge financial impact on our business. Mhm. And this continued on and on and on. It, they just would not stop.
2: They were there relentless. Were they were relentless.
1: All, all because of
0: this one woman who had a perception of who you were yeah. without even meeting yeah. you and she yeah. just took it and ran with it.
2: Yeah.
0: Wow. And and like you said, Lola had like a pristine um in terms of people look at Lola as creme de la creme, you know, great clientele, great music, no issues, you know, all that. But this one woman who, do, who did not know you from Adam, just no. had a preconceived notion of what who you were, and then she caused all this hell.
1: It was so personal. It was so vicious. There were people who would um, come to do interviews with me about it, and... There was always this suspicion of do you know this woman have you ever met this woman before um it was an interesting time back then to see people sort of question whether or not racism was still alive and well Mm. um and so uh i took a firm stance Mm -hmm. Uh, racism was alive and well certainly as an hr person In corporate America, I thought it was a very interesting thing, right, that was happening um, as I could, if I could stand outside of myself and look back at a lot of the stuff that happened in corporate America, things that I knew was happening. I can't tell you how many people I've had to let go from the firm or how engaged we were. Um, in terms of diversity awareness and all of the things that we were doing to change the mindset of people within corporate. Mm -hmm. Um, So I knew racism was alive and well. Um, um, I'm fortunate because I'm a sort of multicultural type. So I kind of sit in the middle of these spaces and um, I can lend a voice to the struggle in a way that... um, white people will listen Mm -hmm. um and so that was a unique space to be in and then um going to soho and having this sort of in your face um racist attack take place um i wasn't going to run away from the argument i wasn't going to shy away from it i wasn't going to pack up and leave just because they said so Mm
0: -hmm. um so you fought um, all the way all the way to the end and you eventually won yes, I everything. I mean, your case and everything. But it was costly, wasn't it?
1: Yes, it was. It was very expensive. And that, my dear, was the plan. Mm. The plan, they, they never intended on winning the case. Um, the plan was to engage us in a legal battle that went on for a prolonged period of time to bankrupt the principal. Mm. That was their plan
0: and they succeeded
1: and they succeeded
0: right so even though you won all your, your battles legal cases issues with the uh, you know department of buildings you you ultimately won we every ultimately, one of them
1: we ultimately lost the war right we right. we we won the battles but we lost the war ultimately and um so i was by the time we lost that we lost everything
0: okay so how, um, we have- how long did you guys remain open and how long did this all this issue
1: we know? closed the restaurant in 2009 in january of 2009
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so and the reason why that- you
0: closed it because you guys were financially just yeah depleted
1: you know, doing all yeah. this with
0: the with the various delays, with the legal fees, and all that good
1: we're stuff. Not really to run the concept as it was. There are so many restaurants between. I mean, we were a destination restaurant for a reason, mm-hmm. right? We had this amazing platform um, for the artist, um, the music that we did, um, our gospel brunches, which was you know a huge hit for the restaurant, brought in uh, um, incredible revenue for us, um, we couldn't do any of that business any longer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it really had um, a huge impact on um, our wherewithal to sort of just keep things going.
0: Right. So as an entrepreneur, I know you were emotionally caught up uh, in everything based on how this woman came at you. How do you, any regrets in terms of how you handle it um would you have just moved on you know to another location or would you have taken a different approach as an entrepreneur because it it cost you so much any regrets it did
1: um I think that in retrospect there was a lot of growing up that I needed to do um every fight is not worth fighting. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I, I don't know now if I would have just simply walked away. Um, but there are so many incredible lessons learned as a result of immersing myself in that. And also as a result of, of, of suffering great loss, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I uh, we fought so passionately for the business. I, I feel like we we um, it was a, a part of an identity too for my husband and I.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we cared as passionately about that business as we would have a child of ours. Right. And so losing, having put so much of ourselves and our resources, um, we didn't just hire you know, GMs and, um, uh, managers to run the place. We ran, we ran that restaurant.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it, it, that takes a lot running a restaurant in New York city. Um, is one of the toughest businesses in the world to run. Yeah. It takes a lot new. And so we had already in terms of creation, what, what, what we had created, but then the day to day, um, management and running of the place that also takes a toll.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so at the end of all of it, um, I look back with this thought, you know that everything that happens it happens for a good reason. I've sort of what taken what did you take all- away
0: from that? What happened after you know you guys closed? How was the neighborhood? did they celebrate um, their back their no. when? Um, whatever happened to that woman? Um, whatever happened to her? Like, is she still no,
1: around? One, same thing would happen. I stopped going to Soho for some time. I just couldn't even go back there. There were years that went by, and I, I couldn't go there. I was so sad. I was so depressed. I was in the midst of a severe depression.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'd lost all of my 401k money, all of my retirement money. I'd wow. lost everything.
0: Wow. All and because so, of this woman. who had a racist perception of who you are and who your business was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And all because I dug in. Mm -hmm. Right. So you decided to fight. um, Yes. All because I decided to fight for myself. Um, There were uh, a lot, a lot of interesting lessons learned as I look back on it,
2: Mm -hmm. there
1: were people who really wanted to help. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, there were people who came to my defense, but there were there were also people who had much larger platforms than than the people who actually did help um, who did absolutely nothing to help mm. um, and people of color who tried to convince me that race had nothing to do with it.
2: Wow um,
1: It was a very interesting as I look back on it now to see how people sort of settle into the status quo of their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, now that there's a much bigger conversation going on now about race, that conversation wasn't happening back then. Mm. There was no social media.
2: Right. right? I think
1: Facebook was just getting started. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram um and i you know businesses uh-huh.
0: didn't know how to be social even if they were around they didn't know how to they weren't socially savvy especially since you guys are from the old school um way of doing business to kind of like get on
2: exactly.
0: you know instagram exactly. and so twitter well was instagram time, wasn't around yeah. twitter maybe may have been around to kind of like voice what was going around. on around
1: i don't know. I think Twitter, I was, Twitter was around in
0: 2009. Oh, but you guys closed in oh nine, right?
1: Yeah, in January of 2009. Right. And so um, there were people, again, people who, were, who did not enable, who uh, looked on and did absolutely nothing. I remember there was a reporter from, I think she was from the New York Post. She really wanted to do this story, and um, she sent investigators down. They went through everything. Um, she was the writer. And she be- had begun to write the story. It was going to be a front page story. And she called me a few weeks into it. And she said, Lola, my editors told me that I'm not supposed to speak to you ever again. Wow. Um, pulling, we're pulling the investigators off of the case and i said to her rebecca why and she said i don't know why they're not telling me why this is how powerful the people who i was fighting this is how powerful they were mm.
0: and you know it's funny we have it in this podcast now a couple of days ago there was a you know there was a hearing in terms of why people of color should get reparations in terms of <laughs> and this is a good reason why this is a good example of how, you know, we need it. Uh we deserve it, you know, because yeah. because of issues yeah. like this. Like, I mean, listen, this woman yeah. went went about her life, you know, with a little win. You know, she probably got her little neighborhood in, intact. Um, but she didn't re- I mean, even if she didn't realize or oh, she didn't care how much um damage she caused to not only no. not only to you personally but to a business that was thriving that represent the best of of our culture uh
1: yes absolutely i think says something that's really critically important um because as i look around of course there are so many people out here who are doing amazing things um and i don't care whether your platform is big or small um i believe in 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 humanity um and i believe in um the power of um of people of color um we go through so much we're 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 made stronger from every uh difficulty that we've we've ever had to overcome and so i'm not gonna allow what happened to it almost derailed me but i'm not gonna allow that to happen i'm gonna sort of take all of the collective wisdom and and now I'm ready to do something that I think is going to be very very important. And that's ten years um, later
0: because you closed in two thousand nine. So it took you ten years yeah. to to fully recover from yeah. everything.
1: And I don't know that I can say that I'm fully recovered, right? Because um, there's still some angst there. There's still some. I carry the pain of this.
2: Right.
1: I, I, you know. I I just have to find the right way to compartmentalize. and right.
0: Wow. Trauma. You yeah, got trauma, you know.
1: Yeah. To, to use it to fuel all of the things that I have in front of me. Right. Um, and to, to do something that's really amazing as a result of all of this.
0: Right. So you still have that entrepreneurial spirit despite all that you went through. Um, yeah. For anyone, entrepreneur who – is going through something like this you know, what would you advise them, based off your experience to do? um, Any advice would you give anyone who was was going through the same thing you're going through?
1: I think it all really begins with who you are as a human being, who you are as a person, with anything that um, you have to go through in life. It's the foundation on which you stand that is going to be the thing that you're going to rely on to get you through. And if you are not confident, if you are not sure about yourself, yourself, if you're not completely and utterly authentic in the space that you are in, and that means being connected in with your soul, with the very essence of who you are and what you're about, if there's any kind of disconnection, then there's going to be a problem because you could fall for anything, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's important first to shore yourself up. Mm. Um, people, you know, I, I, I've done a lot of therapy as a result of um, having gone through this. I was, you know, I've been in therapy before, and psychology obviously has played a big role in my life. Being in an HR role. Um, and so you think that you understand, um, a lot about yourself and, but I think to a large degree in my thirties and in my early forties, forties, I would refer to myself as being authentically inauthentic, believing that I knew something about myself, being so confident in who I was, but it was a mask. I really wasn't that connected in. So it took Hidden a brick wall like that to kind of force me to confront myself in a much bigger way, in a much better way. And I think that now I'm at a place of of that readiness where I can face whatever comes. I know who I am.
0: Right. And you're going to put this all in your future entrepreneurial endeavors. Exactly. Well, this is, uh, you know, heartwarming you know. story. To... <laughs> I'm trying to come up with like a a, a good way to, to like end this uh cuz ultimately this podcast is about you know, people that really dive into their passion and dreams and you did just that and you went through
1: hell. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and now um I'm creating a much bigger platform that is about really it, that it is about transformation, about transformational outcomes. Mm-hmm. I want to create a social environment to do so much more.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's not just a restaurant that I'm looking to create. I want to be able to combine thought leadership with artistic expression, specifically aimed at transformational outcomes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, a member model, a coalescing a group of like-minded people, all aimed at one thing, and that is all about creating a better world for us and for the next generation. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I can do. And people are taking this idea of sort of creating something better for all of us, um, and they're doing that in their own spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, I can do this because of um, all of uh, the hardships and the struggle that I've had to overcome, um, I can take my knowledge of um, what it takes to create a restaurant space that that, uh, that thrives, uh, a focus on ama- an amazing cuisine and a beautiful space. But for me, it has to be more than just that. And mm-hmm. so I'm hearkening back to my HR roots to some degree. And again, everything that I now know about what it takes to um, become a truly authentic person in this world to really be connected in with the people that we are connected in with your soul to be on mission to do the work that you were put on this earth to do i'm connected in with all of that i'm Mm -hmm. sorry that it had to go through such a tough time in life um to form all of uh, all of these connections but the one thing that i would say to to any entrepreneur is get your ego out of the situation um, and focus more on who you are, why you're here. Um, are you connected in passionately because um, this is something within, deep within your soul that resonates? It feels like the thing that you must do, that you're going to lose your breath if you don't do it. Are you doing it because your, your family wants you to do it? It's, it's, it's time to get ego out of the situation And come to things from a better place of understanding, but it's really just all about that authentic you.
0: Mm -hmm. And then when you become that authentic you, you become a better entrepreneur and it's, you know, I would say a successful entrepreneur. Well, well, you know, you're a true disruptor (laughs) Um, from corporate America to entrepreneur world to restaurant tour world. You don't back down, Lola, clearly. And I don't think you're yeah, supposed to. And it's people like yeah. you who's gonna like open up, you know, doors and pave the way for people coming behind you. So thank you for sharing this amazing story. Um, though it was a little bit depressing, but you clearly, you know, the cl- glass is half full for you. And I'm glad that you are you know, you're still intact mentally and you're still pressing on. Um, I am. With Cal-
1: huh. I said, Kelsey, thank you so very much. It's such a pleasure to speak to you. I've loved you for a long time, and I still do. I remember that young man that you were. I'm still um, I still am. <laughs> yeah. No, but you've grown that, right? Like right. Um, you've become, Yes, you've become even better, but you were such a sweet and wonderful spirit. And I'm happy to be here with you, to talk to you, and to share this story thanks for giving me the time and space
0: to do it. You're welcome. I'm glad. I'm more than, more than, it's more than my pleasure to do it. All right, girl, take care.
1: I will. That's I'll fine. talk to you soon. alright Goodbye. right. Bye-bye. bye-bye.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. As you hear, it was very heavy and it was very um, heart drenching to hear Lola's story as she struggle to follow her dreams and passion but one thing I got from her you know regardless of what happened you know she persevered um she just persevered and pretty much that's what we all have to do we have to do what we can we have to do to to, uh, follow our dreams and passion no matter what obstacles get in our way that's beyond our control just got to keep going period. Just got to keep going. Until next time, I'm social broker, Kelsey Cooper.